this morning. When I wrote this message Monday, I had no idea the circumstances I'd be preaching it on on Sunday. It makes it all the more clear and more important and more dear to me what I'm about to speak to you about this morning. I want to thank you for your prayers for our family. And I want to ask you to continue to pray for our family. Um, if you're not aware, my brother-in-law, who was more of a brother than a brother-in-law to me, um, received his ultimate healing yesterday in the arms of Jesus. In a matter of two weeks, he went from a very healthy man to a man who is now completely healed in the presence of our Lord. And I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm crushed, I'll be honest with you. Um, some of you are wondering, what are you doing here? Um, don't hold it against the fellow elders. They tried to talk me out of this numerous times to be here this morning, and I, I have to be here this morning and preach this message to you. They have told me, and I have not fought with them, that um, they're giving me an indefinite period of time to go take care of my family, and I'll be honest with you, there's a lot to take care of right now. I would just ask you to pray for us. My son-in-law is not doing well. Pray for him. Pray for my daughter. Um, I saw him last night. Some of you would be like, stay away from me then. Um, I can't figure it out. He tests negative, and yet he still is fighting hard. Pray for us. While you're praying for us, pray for many families. You'll look around. You'll see a lot of, a lot of families here this morning. A lot of that's post-Christmas, but folks, there's a lot of sickness going around our church right now. There really is. Pray hard for the body of Christ. But do not, do not, do not, do not, do not live in fear. Do not live in fear. I, I beg of you to not live in fear. I beg of you to live confidently in Christ. And so I want to take us to Romans 8 this morning. It's the final Sunday of 2021. And let's be honest, 2020 and 2021 have blurred together to be just one year that has never ended in many ways. But when we come to the end of this year, it would be wrong of us to not look back and reflect on the faithfulness of our God. It would be wrong of us to do that. It, I think of the words of, of Job. Will we, will we take good from the Lord and not, and not evil as well? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so as you look back over, as I look back over, as we as a church look back over 2021, we, we have to reflect on God's faithfulness to us. We have to reflect on the fact that he has been gracious and kind and good to us every step of the way. But we also have to look ahead to what the new year holds, don't we? And I'll be honest with you, my outlook on the new year is a little different than it was last year. I have become 
increasingly convicted and been thinking hard about something in my own heart for the last few weeks. And I didn't realize I was going to kind of put it all together in a message, but, but I just want to share with you, and, and I apologize if I'm scattered this morning, I, I think you understand. But this all kind of gelled in my mind several weeks ago. At the beginning of this year, I had bought an elders a little book. I don't even know if they finished it or not. We were reading it together, and then things happened, and we didn't finish reading it together. But I bought them a little book, and it was for them, and it was really for me. But I thought, like, if it's good for me, it's good for the other three elders as well. And the title of this book was Faithful Elders and the Things That Matter the Most. And it's been helpful to me. It's been very convicting to me, but... The third chapter, it's only a four-chapter book, which is why I can get that read in a year. Um, The third chapter is entitled, Leading Yourself. And when I first saw the title to that chapter, I'm like, well, I'm not supposed to be leading myself. I'm supposed to be led by the Lord. That's a very Sunday school answer, I know. But as I read the chapter, I I was very convicted in that There are certain things that I myself need to remind myself of every day when I first start my day. And and I'm allowing, and I don't know if you're allowing this, but I have allowed over the course of years and the course of of what's happened in, in our world today, I've allowed the media, I've allowed other voices to inform my thinking right at the beginning of my day. Anybody else guilty of that? Like, like you turn on the news to find out what bad news am I going to hear today, and I've allowed that to inform my thinking. I was reminded of a truth, and I, you know this truth, I know this truth, but I think it's important. Proverbs 23.7 in the New American Standard says this, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says this, watch your heart diligently, for from it flow the springs of life. And, and, and the writer there, Solomon, I think, as he's writing that, as the Holy Spirit's writing it for us, is reminding us the way that you and I live, the nitty-gritty of our life, is, is inescapably connected to what you and I believe in our hearts. You can't live differently apart from what you believe. Think about that. You, you can't live differently apart from what you believe. The way you are living is a result of what you believe to be true. And and if you don't like the way that you're living, if you're not happy with that, then then there's probably something wrong with your belief system. As I was thinking that through, you know, I I think about simple little things. Like, Like, if I really believe what I eat is important to me, I'll change my diet. It's obvious that I really don't care. I consume way too much Mountain Dew. But, but it's not just those little things. Our core beliefs shape the way that we think, which shapes the way that we live. And, and that needs to really be explored because I'm going to submit to us all this morning, starting with the guy up front, that every single one of us needs to have what I would call a more robust theology. We all need to have a much deeper theology. And I don't mean just a head knowledge. 
I mean an understanding of who God is and what he does so that we will live better in response to that. I can't write your theology. The good news is God's done that for you in his word. I, I, can't, I can't even order that for you. I can barely deal with the own mess that is my own heart and deal with my own theology. But this morning, if you'll allow me, I want to help you to begin to formulate a really solid theology. And I think Romans 8 does that for us. I think Romans 8 does that for us. It's going to be our launch point this morning. And so Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30 this morning. It's really hard because we're literally parachuting down into the middle of the book of Romans. And I, and I realize that. And, I, and we're going to have to really get up to speed here. But, but Paul has been developing this. Romans is the greatest, in my mind, the greatest doctrinal uh, exposition of what the gospel is. It exposes our need for the gospel in the early chapters. It exposes what God has done through Christ for us to, to give us salvation and, and then in Romans 6, 7, and 8, it explores this idea of, of, of why, even after the gospel and after salvation, why am I still struggling with sin in my life? And why am I still struggling with the effects of sin in our, in, in around us in the world that we live in? And so that's where we are when we come to Romans chapter 8. Follow along as I read verses 18 through 30 this morning. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Stop and let that sink in. Let that sink in. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, if you mark your Bible, circle that phrase, for we know. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, stop, circle that, and we know. Paul here, let me just stop and interject this. Paul is not saying we, we have this head knowledge of this. Paul, Paul's not saying, well, we've seen this in action. Paul is saying this. This has been pounded into our minds over and over. And if you don't know it, you better know it. And we know that for those who God loves, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknow, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Father, in these next moments, I pray that you would bring truth alive in our hearts. We, we live in, a, in, in confusing days. We live in dark days. We live in evil days. But these are also exciting days because we're one day closer to the return of our Savior. We, we need to know your, your designs for us. We need to know your truth more than ever. And this morning, we beg of you to write it deep on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, my goal this morning is to give us some foundational bedrock truth that, that when life brings us to those points where, where we feel like we're just in quicksand and we can't sink any further, we hit some bedrock. You ever had the experience of jumping in the pool and not touching the bottom? And not touching the bottom and not touching the bottom and you're like... <gasps> it's, it's an amazing relief when you hit the bottom, isn't it? That is if you can get yourself back up. But when you touch the bottom, you're like, okay, I've reached the bottom. I can push and get myself to the top. And there are times when life feels that way, doesn't it? Like it, we're just in this pool of water and we're never going to get to the bottom. But, but there is a bottom and the bottom is found in God's word. It's our foundation. And this morning, I want to help you to understand what the bedrock of that foundation is. And I'm not going to take this passage in order, but there's three Three foundational truths I want to give to us all this morning that we all need to know. That we all need to know. That we all need to, to, to if literally, in the morning, remind ourselves of these three truths. Because if we would live just in light of these three truths, I think it would transform the way that we live. I really do. The first foundational truth, actually the first two are found in verse 28, in the following verses there. But the first foundational truth is this. And you see there, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Understand something first and foremost this morning, that, that we know that God is sovereign. Whether or, not you, whether or not you acknowledge it, whether or not you agree with that or not, you need to know this morning that Almighty God is in control of all things. This is not a new truth that Paul has just dropped on us in Romans 8 and verse 28. This is the theme of all scripture. After all, the very first verse of scripture, you know it, don't you? In the beginning, what? In the beginning, who? God acted, right? Did anybody tell him to act? Did anybody compel him to act? Did anybody, did anybody twist his arm and say, you've got to do this? No, God, because he is the Almighty One, chose to do something. And from that point on, the record of Scripture is very clear. God is doing what he will delight to do. And at times, that's hard for us to understand. I'm just going to be really honest with you. I don't see how God delights in taking a man who is in his 50s, who has beautiful grandchildren and children. I don't see how God delights in that, but he does. He gets the glory in that. I don't see it from my perspective, but I'm not God. 
This is a theme that is repeated throughout the scriptures. Job 42 and verse 2. Job says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Did Job know what he was talking about, church? When Job said that, did he know what he was talking about? Yeah, he had lived it. And Job's testimony is, after he goes through all this adversity of losing everything, losing children, losing all his wealth, losing all the things that you and I hold on to for security, at the end of all of this, he says is, I know that you're going to do what you're going to do, God. Psalm 135 and verse 6, the psalmist says there, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. As hard as it is for us to even fathom, throughout history, when you consider some of the horrible things that have happened throughout history, God has done what has pleased him. Ephesians 1, verse 11, Paul there writing says this, He, God, works all things according to the counsel of his will. You know what that means? That means there's not one thing that happens, even small insignificant thing in your life or a big thing that happens on a global scale. There's not one thing that happens on this earth that God hasn't chosen to have happen. You say, but what about all the evil, Pastor Dan? What about God is glorified even in the evil of men? He works all things. Either all things means all things or it means nothing. Do you know that? When, when he claims in the word that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, it has to mean all things or it means nothing. Romans 11 and verse 36 says this, all things are from him, they're through him, and they're to him to the praise of his glory. To make it through the craziness of life, to make it through the pain of life, to make it through the hardship of life, good grief, to even make it through the goodness of life, we better understand that Almighty God is in control of all of this. Let's be honest, at times it feels like we are on a, on a carnival ride that has totally gone off the rails, doesn't it? Don't we? And, and we're there with our little handle in this carnival car trying to control this thing that's flying through the air. No, God's in control of all of this. And that means something for us. It means something for every one of us. If God is in control, guess who's not? You and I are not in control. Yet we'd like to think that we have some control, don't we? I'll be honest with you. I really believed at the beginning of this week that I was controlling God with my prayer. You ever felt like that? God, I'm begging you. God, I'm begging you, you got to do this. And when it's the ones that we love, we'd like to think we have some control, don't we? But we don't. He does. And it's a good thing you and I don't have control. Because if we had control, I, I, 
you put me in God's seat for one minute and all of this goes to hell in a handbasket even worse than it is. Right? You and I are not in control. And it's foolish for us to try to assume control. But here's the question. What if God truly is in control, but he's just some cold, unfeeling, uncaring, all-powerful deity that doesn't give a rip about us down here? And at times it feels that way, doesn't it? Go ahead, be honest. At times it feels that way, doesn't it? What if that's the kind of God we're talking about here? This, this harsh God who's the angry grandfather, who's never satisfied by anything that happens, and he's constantly just handing out condemnation and punishment. Well, there's a second foundational truth that I want you to see in verse 28. Not only is God in control, but he is actively working all things for good for a group of people. Do you see it there in verse 28? He is actively working all things together for a group of people. Not all people, but for a group of people. What's that group, church? He, it says there that for those who love God, all things are working together for good. For those who he's called to salvation, for those who love him, God has promised that he is actively working all things together for our good. Even the evil in the world, church? Even deadly sickness? Even job loss? Is he working together for our good, church? Yes. God, if you this morning are here and you love God, this is one thing that I am sure of. I am absolutely rock solid sure of this. No matter what the circumstances of your life are, God is actively working in those circumstances to do what is best for you. Here's what we know. When we consider as we go forward in the passage... Here's what we know, and here's what Paul kind of peels the layers back on, and I don't have time to go into all of it this morning. I don't have time to unpack all the theology that is there in verses 29 and 30, but suffice it to say this, that before the foundation of time, he had a plan for all of us who love him way back in eternity past. You see it there in verse 29? For those whom he foreknow, those who he choose to place, chose to place his love on, those he predestined them. He predestined. If you are the child of God this morning, God made it very clear. And when God makes a plan, it can't be thwarted, remember? He made it very clear that his plan for those who love him was to be conformed to the image of his son. Can you think of any better outcome than life producing you to be like Jesus? When we're young, when we're dealing with our kids when they're young, we all, we all make plans, don't we? Right? We make plans. 
gonna go to college, I'm gonna go do this career, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna make something in my life. And, 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 and ultimately, all that stuff is important, but it's not the most important thing. You wanna know the most important thing about your life is that you become like Jesus. Is that you and I become like Jesus. And here's the good news. God has already predetermined if, if you are one who loves him, that he is going to accomplish that in your life. Now, let's just be honest. That process is hard and it's painful at times, right? It hurts. Some of us get there sooner than others. Do you realize that my brother-in-law yesterday, late afternoon, instantly became just like Christ? Do you realize that? All his life, all his adult life, he was saved as a young man, didn't have a, didn't have a believing family, came to Christ in an amazing way at a Christian rock concert of all places. Striper, I think. I think it was Striper. And all of his life, God was working in his life to conform him to be more like Christ. And he wasn't there yet. But yesterday, when he entered, this, entered glory, boom! Boom! And that's, that's your destiny if you're the child of God this morning. Paul continues on, he says, and those whom he predestined, in verse 30, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Where would we be if we're not justified, made right with the Father? Where would we be if we're not justified and made right with the Father? Paul in Ephesians 1.4 put it this way. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be homely and blameless before him. And then he goes on to say in verse 5 that because of his great love, he's done this. And then he goes on to point out in, in Ephesians 1.5, because of his great love, not only has he chosen us, he has adopted us. He has adopted us. He has literally made us his children. Which is what he says here in verse 29, that we're the firstborn among many brothers. And so God is working this process. Not only is God in control, sovereignly in control, but number two, God is working on you if you love him. You are a work in progress. And every morning we need to wake up and remind ourselves of that. God is in control, and he's doing something good in my life today. Not, not, and I'm just going to name names, not in a Joel Osteen kind of way. Joel Osteen would tell you that the good that he's working in your life is he's going to put more money in your bank account today, and you're going to get a new car. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The good that God's working in your life today is he's making you more like Jesus. And he's promised he's going to do that. But there's some implications in that. If you don't love God today, if you're not his child, that promise isn't for you. And if God is not actively working for good in you, what are you to assume that he's doing? 
Well, I think it's safe to assume from the record of Scripture that God is going to judge those who do not love him. In two days, I'm going to have the honor of preaching my brother-in-law's funeral because of the graciousness of our church it's going to be in this room and I'm going to get to talk to a room full of people who knew him as friends as family many business associates and I am going to be able to confidently say I know that my brother-in-law is in heaven because he was justified by the father do you know that for yourself do you know that for yourself because if you don't there is no riskier position to take on this earth than to wonder whether or not you have eternal life or not the bible tells us these things were written that you may know that you may know But if you do love him, you can rest in this fact this morning. Not that your life is going to be made easier. Not that your life is going to be, be, be made worry-free. Not that your life is not going to have pain or struggle or trial. But you can rest in the fact that no matter what God brings your way, he is using it to make you more like Jesus. You can rest in that. Otherwise, other verses of Scripture don't make sense. How is it that, that Paul can tell us in 1 Thessalonians, and everything gives thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The only way I can be thankful in certain circumstances is if I know for sure that God is using those circumstances to make me more like Jesus. Right? Because let's just be honest. There's some things that God does that on the surface we really struggle to find to be thankful for. Right? But if it's making me more like Jesus, then I can be thankful for that. So number one, your number one bedrock truth is that God is in control. Number two, that God not only is in control, but he's working all things together for good for those who love him. But let's go back in the passage to verse 22 where I had you circle for we know because, because there's another foundational truth that you and I need to be reminded of every single morning. And this is a great theological term, okay? Just going just gonna to give you a disclaimer. This is a great theological term here. The third thing you need to know is that things are a mess. There's theology in that. Things are a mess. Do you see it there in verse 22? We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We live in a very broken, groaning world. You back up to verse 20. Just see how bad it is. For the creation was subjected to futility... Boy, there's some positive news. This world we live in was subjected to futility. You know what that means, don't you? This creation cannot achieve the purpose for which God created it to achieve. But I thought God created it perfect, right? Church, did he? He created it to fulfill a purpose. But what happened? Sin. The curse. 
Think things like this. Thorns, thistles, work becoming painful and hard, pain in childbirth. Those are the things that Genesis tells us. But think for even further. Think this, is what, this is what it means that the earth is subject to, and the creation is subject to futility. We have death. We have viruses. We have drunk drivers. We have bad things happening to good people. That is the result of this verse right here. The creation was subjected to futility. And that is the reality of our life. We have this overwhelming preponderance of first responders in our church and healthcare workers. Don't believe me, just have a health crisis in a service. If the creation wasn't subjected to fertility, those people wouldn't need to, they, we wouldn't need to employ those people doing what they're doing. Am I right? And Paul says in verse 22. This whole creation has been groaning. It, it, it's waiting. Not only is the creation groaning, but verse 23, but we ourselves. He's writing here to believers. He's writing to people like you and me. He's writing to people who have to deal with real life and its pains and its hurts. And the fact that it seems like waves on a shore just coming wave after wave after wave after wave until the point where you don't feel like you can stand up anymore. He's saying to us all, we're groaning too. We're waiting we're waiting. And let's be honest, it feels like we can't wait anymore at times, doesn't it? But notice what we're waiting for. Do you see what we're waiting for there in verse 23? We're eagerly waiting for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now let's understand something here. Paul knew his theology well. He knew that positionally we are adopted, okay? He knew that. He wasn't like he was saying we're, we're like in this probation period waiting for it to all happen. But what Paul is saying is he himself and we ourselves are waiting for the day when it all becomes reality. And, and you see, there's one thing, and, and let's understand this. It's good to know that we're adopted. If you're in Christ this morning, you're adopted. Go ahead and say it. I'm God's child. But it's even better when you get to be with daddy in his home, isn't it? It's even better. And that's what he says we're waiting for. That's what we're waiting for. And I think what he's pointing us to is this. The hardships, the trials, the pains of this life should make us want heaven all the more. It should make us want heaven all the more. This is our hope. Do you see it there in verse 24? For in this hope we were saved. In this hope, we were saved. But not only do we just have hope, because at times we feel like we've lost our hope, don't we? God gives us big help to go along with our hope. 
He says in verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We have to wait for it with endurance. And there are times that it gets really hard to wait with endurance. But here's what God's done. He's given us big help. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps with our weakness. Here's the beauty of our Father. He knows that it's really hard to keep hoping. He gets it. And so what does he do? He gives to us his Spirit, who is our helper. What a beautiful thing, because here's what he says. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you understand what God is saying here? I'm going to give you the layman's, the layman's understanding of verses 26 and 27, okay? I'm going to make it really simple. Terms that I can understand. Have you ever had this experience where you have fallen to your knees or sat in your car or laying in bed and you're just like, I know I need to pray. I just don't even know how to pray. You ever been there? And you're like, why bother even praying? Well, here's why you bother to pray. Because the Spirit takes what we pray and he takes it and he puts it in language that the Father understands. And when the Spirit goes and talks to the Father on our behalf, when he intercedes for us, guess what? He gets it right every time because the Spirit is God himself. So in other words, when you and I pray, we can't miss. You can't miss when you pray. You're going to miss when you don't pray. I told you I can't give you a whole theology for you, but I can give you three bedrock truths, and I want to leave them with you this morning. As we go into the coming year, as we leave this year behind, we all need to do it knowing, number one, every morning we need to remind ourselves God's in control. God's in control. Washington's not in control. Lord knows that. World leaders aren't in control. God's in control. And God's in control, and I can't thwart his plans or purposes, and so I better line myself up with them, right? If I can't thwart his plans or purposes, I better line myself up with his plans or purposes. Secondly, if I'm the child of God, God has promised that he's working all things together for my good. For my good. If I'm not the child of God, that promise isn't for me. Thirdly, I live in a corrupt place, but this isn't my permanent address. Aren't you so thankful? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through and I have to patiently endure, and I have to fix my hope on Christ. And when my hope is failing, I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to intercede for me. Living this way, living this way will keep us from living in fear. Do you know that? Living this way will keep us, will keep us from living in despair. 
Living this way will keep us from looking around the corner thinking that the boogeyman is there every turn we take. And for me, I can say this honestly, it's the only way I know how to live right now. Because if God is in control, if God doesn't have this right now, then I shudder to think who does. Thank you for being here. Our family loves you. Thank you for praying for us. Grace to you. Andy, would you come up and close this service in prayer, please?